Thank you, worship team. Because today we're we're on soli deo gloria to the glory of God alone, and um, and one day we're going to be standing in His presence, and we're going to see Him as He is, and we're going to worship together like that, and. And most days as I go throughout my life, that doesn't make sense to me. Do you know what I mean by that? Like as, as I'm shopping for a new minivan or as I'm dealing with the air conditioner that's gone out for the 17th time or I'm mad about the drip of oil on my driveway, um, That scene doesn't really make sense to me because in those moments, this life becomes greater than who he is and what he's done. And there's just these, these moments that we have on this side of eternity where his glory comes into this perspective where it's like all you can do is praise. And... Uh, those last two songs that we sang uh, did that for me. <laughs> uh, it doesn't always. Usually right before I get up to preach a sermon, I'm just sweating profusely and thinking, oh, God, please come back before I have to get up there. Please <laughs> come quickly, Lord Jesus. But uh, man, so good. These notes just seem stupid now. <laughs> They've seemed stupid for a while now, but let's... Let's see what's in there. Father, we, um, we just thank you for who you are as you reveal yourself in your word, as you reveal yourself through your spirit. We thank you that even though we don't see you now, we will see you one day. And even though we face days today, we're glorifying you and living for your glory and revealing your glory doesn't make sense to us where a cry like Soli Deo Gloria is just a, a history fact from 500 years ago. And it's not the, the crescendo, the cry of our lives. We thank you that one day it will be that one day the work that you did in us will be made full and complete. And you will separate us from the brokenness that runs so deep in us and you will perfect us, you will glorify us so that with one voice we will sing to the praise of your glory. We will perfectly reveal your glory in the way that we have been called to as your creation. And our hearts long for that day, even on days where we care more about the oil drips and, and the cares of this life. God, you have put something within our hearts that longs for that day. You have created us with the purpose of revealing your glory. And God, I pray in this sermon, in the words that I'm about to speak, that it would not be my words, but that it would be your words. And that it would put into context the glorious nature of who you are and the glorious purpose that you've put within each and every man, woman, and child. 
to glorify your name and to reveal the glory of who you are. If you pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guess I don't have to worry about the notes if I can't see them, so. <laughs> anyway. So I hope you guys are enjoying our walk through the five solos. And I hope that you're understanding that this is more than just a, uh, a history lesson of something that happened 500 years ago. I hope that you are realizing that these principles that we are walking through one by one have as much application to where we are today as it did back then. The Reformation at that time was dealing with a very specific issue, right? The issue of salvation. And so uh, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin, uh, as, as they uh, interact with these five solos of uh, by, by faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone, Scripture alone, all to the glory of God alone, this was to deal with a very specific instance in that time of our salvation, where they saw that God was not receiving the glory that was due his name. They looked at the church culture in the day, one that valued uh, papal decree and church tradition over the scriptures. They looked at their uh, salvation system, which was more comprised of man's works and the purchasing of indulgences than it was Christ's work on the cross. They looked at these things and their hearts cried reform. Their heart said something is wrong here because man is being glorified above and beyond the name of God and that is wrong. And so thus began the Reformation. And in it we see a model for us today, 500 years later. To look at our own lives, to look at our own culture, our own church culture, and to reform where reform is needed. And so we're going to look a little bit at what made their hearts cry, uh, Reformation. But before we do, obviously today we're talking about uh, soli deo gloria, or to the glory of God alone. And I feel like glory is one of those terms in my own life. I don't know about you, but when I say the glory of God, do any of your eyes glaze over? Because it's a churchy term, it's a churchy phrase, it's one that I've heard my whole life. To We have to live for the glory of God. Well, what does that even mean, to live for the glory of God? Because if we're going to say it a hundred times in the next, I'm not going to say however many minutes, because then you'll hold me to it, and I don't have Rob's little beeper thing up here to tell me why I need to be done. If you're a woman, you don't get that joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> You should have identified as a man. Is that what we were doing up here before? Your little shtick? Too far. Um, Chris is going to get emails. Anyway, um, no, we, uh, (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about what the glory of God actually is. So that as we use this term, we know what we're saying, both in uh, what is being revealed to us and what we are being called to reflect. So uh, whenever you're talking about the glory of God, you actually have to quote John Piper. I don't know if you know this, um, but it is it's in every pastor and director's contract. You have to quote John Piper. So we're going to do that. John Piper defines God's glory in one of the many places where he talks about God's glory. Um, he defined it in a, a sermon that I was listening to this week from him as the outward radiance of the intrinsic worth 
and beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. In other words, God glory is the beauty of who he is on full display. That is what God's glory is as revealed. All of his attributes, all of his words, all of his works are all a revelation of his glory to us. And as we taste and as we see and as we experience the glory of who he is, our only response is to glorify. It is to be almost like this, this weird like glory comes down, glory goes up. Glory comes down, glory goes up. He reveals his glory and we reflect glory back to him as we glorify him, as we worship him, as we praise him. Not just with our words, not just with our worship, but with the way that we live our lives as well. And this is the, the cyclical nature of who he is and who we are, who he has created us to be and how we then respond. He reveals his glory and we reflect it. We revere it. We give it back to him as we glorify him. And so Soli Deo Gloria was a defense of God's glory, both in revelation and in the glory that he was deserved, specifically uh, within regards to salvation. And so, um, Soli Deo Gloria was kind of the, the heart cry or the crescendo of all of these other solos, right? So you have God's word as our lone foundation for what is truth. And, and since it's by faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved, all an act uh, that is made possible by God's grace alone as he opens the eyes of those who are spiritually dead and spiritually blind. What we find is the culminating point in our salvation is that God's name alone is glorified. There is no room for anyone else to receive glory when it comes to our salvation. What did you do? What did I do to make that happen? Nothing. We were dependent upon His glory being revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, all in accordance to what Scripture laid out. The very faith that you place in the very death that He died was given to you as an act of grace. And so when we look at our salvation at any point to say, this is the house that Matt built, what? How bankrupt is that? How absolutely bankrupt is that when we look at our salvation? And so Soli Deo Gloria was a response to a religious culture that was stealing glory from God with every papal decree or church tradition placed above Scripture, with every sacrament observed or indulgence that was purchased, God's perfect word and His sufficient work was being robbed of due glory and given instead to the sin-infused words and works of man. This was a problem for the fathers of the Reformation who understood that God is never glorified when his work and his word are minimized. God is never glorified when his work and his word are minimized. And so uh, they fought the lies of the day with the truth of Scripture so that God would receive all glory that was due his name. And we're going to read that beautiful passage that uh, Steve Kester already read for us. Steve, it, it is, man. Like, every time I read that, I'm like, are you kidding me? 
It was actually on a, uh, a wilderness trip way back in my, uh, my pre-director days. We'll call them my, uh, my intern days here at Harbor Shores, where we went up to uh, the Canadian wilderness. And that week we were going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and Stephen uh, challenged all of us, interns included, uh, to memorize a chapter in Ephesians, and uh, I had always, I, I never really knew what it all meant, Ephesians chapter 1, but I loved the language of it at the time, and I was like, wow, this, this really sounds poetic. I think I'm going to memorize this piece of poetry, and uh, still to this day, the, as, as I've grown in my understanding and my appreciation for what the words actually mean, those words come back to me uh, all the time and just fill my heart with praise as I consider God's work specifically in regards to our salvation. Uh, it is glory inducing. So let's take a look uh, at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Truthfully, the reformers didn't have to go any further than this to make the point that God deserves every single drop of glory with regards to our salvation. Paul writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that even mean? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he has set forth in Christ. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Here we see that the plan of salvation from start to finish was a work of God to bring glory to God. And if you doubt that at all, if you have some time this week, go back and read this section of Scripture and just hone in on the pronouns. Hone in on the pronouns. Paul goes out of his way to make perfectly clear in this section that any room we feel that we have to rob God of any glory as it pertains to our salvation runs out the moment we look to the pages of Scripture. There is no room. Because before this world was ever set in motion, before its foundations were ever laid, the foundations of your salvation were predetermined. And it is His blood that poured out for you. It is His work of grace to open your eyes to your need of grace. And without Him, we would be lost. We would be dead. We would be blind to who Christ is and what He did for us. And so, when it comes to our salvation, 
It is a work of God to bring glory to God. Soli Deo Gloria was a cry for God alone to receive the glory in our salvation that was due His name. Not the good things that we do or the ordinances that we, res- that we observe like confession or communion or obedience to the words, rules, and traditions of sinful men. But that in accordance with His word, Christ alone would be the hope of our salvation. And that in response to his glorious grace, we would put our faith in him and the death that he died for us. And yet, Soli Deo Gloria is more than just the crescendo of the Protestant Reformation. And we can't miss this. 500 years ago, there was some massive reform that needed to take place in the life of the church, specifically as it pertains to salvation. There's no doubt. You can go back and you can read about uh, all that the church was affirming, all that the church was doing at that time, and you can see where a hothead like Luther would lose his cool. Okay, Especially somebody who was such a student of the word. There's no doubt. And yet the crescendo of those other four solos were truly made to be a crescendo in every area of life. That to God, all glory would be given. This is actually the the cry of all of creation, and we see this so clearly depicted in Scripture. It's certainly the cry of the heavens that we see in Isaiah chapter 6, where we read in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so here Isaiah is let in on this scene, this scene that is so holy, so set apart, so completely other that he thinks, this is it for me. Like, there's no way I'm walking out of this okay. I am standing in the presence of the one whose presence can fully level me because of his glory. And I am completely undone. And this is the scene that we see that these beings that we can't even describe, beings that if they were to show up in in Noblesville like at one o'clock today, we'd probably all go. We'd probably all gather there instead of like going to Rosie's or wherever you guys go after this. We'd we'd probably head down there to see what's going on with these creatures. No, these creatures that are completely other sing to the totally otherness of God. That is their full responsibility. The heavens right now, as we speak, within the heavens, the glory of God is being declared continually. And it's a cry that the rest of creation shares as well. We see this in Psalm 19, verse 1, where David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. We've already seen that. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals His knowledge. In other words, the universe never stops singing to the reality of God's glory. Day and night, you can look, you can listen, and unless you are deaf and dumb you will hear the glory of God being proclaimed. There is no speech. There are 
<clears throat> nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That's why in Romans 1, uh, where Paul says, the truth of God has been made plain to them as we see that horrible, horrible depiction of what happens as a result of our sin in verses 18 through trying to look in my Bible in my mind, 31. We'll say 31. I don't know. It could be 30. Don't quote me. Uh, but in that section of Scripture, we see the full weight of sin on display where even though the glory of God is made so clear to us in creation, where we should be able to walk outside and to see a bird fly or to feel the wind on our face or to look up at the sun or to see the clouds or to just stare out at the ocean, to consider the ant or any of these things that just scream to the existence of a creator, we have instead, because of our sins, suppressed the reality of his presence, suppressed the beauty of his glory, and exchanged the beauty of who he is for a man-made lie. That's what we did. That's, that's what we can take credit for. We have taken all that sings of God's glory and made it sing to our own instead. That's why we are in need of continuous reform. Because of the sin and what it does inside of us. And it never stops trying to do it, unfortunately, even after we have been redeemed. And so we should be able to look out and to see the heavens and to see the earth and to see all that's in it. And to see such a picture of who God is that all we can do is glorify. That all we can do is sing to the reality of His beauty on full display. This is what we were created for. And I love the way that another throne room scene speaks to this in Revelation chapter 4. I'm just going to read you the whole thing. It's only 11 verses. After this I looked, John said, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne... There was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. 
they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. In the heavenlies, it is recognized our created design. It is fully recognized. They see God for who He is. They look down at what we are and they say everything that we see down there was made to give you glory. It is so clear to them because they don't see the way that we see. They see Him as He is. And nothing could be more clear That their existence in heaven is just to simply magnify His name and glorify Him. And honestly, when I think about going to heaven sometimes, about just standing around in glory, I'm like, wow, really? Like, can I go fishing? Like, really? Do I get, like, do I get to fly? Because I always wanted to fly without wings. That would be cool. Do I get to, like, go swim in a sea somewhere without any attachments or apparati? Did you say apparati earlier? Or apparatuses? I'm not sure, but it was a word. I was like, wow, that was good. Um, You know, I kind of think of heaven in terms of like, hey, this is going to be good for me, right? Like, man, I can't wait for heaven to really serve me. They get something that we don't. They see him as he is, and the only response that they could possibly have is to glorify as a result. And if we are not fighting to see him as he is, if we are not fighting to keep him first and foremost and front and center in our lives, we're going to miss it. Our purpose is to give God glory. And it's in light of that purpose that we have this, this command in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 28 and 29. We read, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Let me ask you a question. Does God lack glory unless we give it to Him? No. No, he doesn't need our glory. He doesn't need our praises. It's not like God is up there like, oh, nobody loves me anymore. I wish somebody would glorify me so that I could be like glory full. No. No. He is full. He is... No! (laughs) That's absolutely ridiculous. I can't even even find a man-made analogy off the top of my head to, to spell out how ridiculous that truly is. So that tells you how completely other it is. Or how much I need coffee right now. Um, We are commanded to ascribe glory to God because that is living in light of our purpose. That is us carrying out not an act of obedience. Not, not, oh, well, we got to follow that command and glorify God today. That verse is basically saying, live. Live. Because whatever else you do that isn't that, isn't the life you've been called to. You're doing something else outside of your purpose. That isn't so much a command as something to do like, don't kill your neighbor. That is a command that is the essence of who we are carried out. That to ascribe the glory, do His name, to live in light of His glory... 
That's who we are. To do anything else is to do something that we were not made to do. And it's in light of that that Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10.31 actually begin to make sense. As not one of those hyperbole commands that we can never really follow, but actually the, the crescendo of our lives, right? This is, this is it. This is the full Monty. This is, this is everything coming together. This is what we are to be in and, and what we are to do. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. To ascribe to God all the, do- the glory due His name and to do all things to the glory of His great name. So much so, and <laughs> I love how this passage in Luke 19, in an indirect way, screams to the reality of our purpose. Jesus basically says, if we don't live out our purpose, if we don't carry out our purpose, if we don't do the very thing that we have been designed to do, don't worry, the rock's got our back. It says, and as he, Jesus, rode along, this is the triumphal entry, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Circling back to the heavens and the earth, minus you, minus me, all of it. Every single drop of sand and stone and star in the sky, all of it was made to reveal the glory of God, to sing to the magnitude of His great name, so that anything that has eyes to see or ears to hear or a mind to comprehend would look out and see the glory of the One who created all things. And if we don't fulfill our purpose, everything else that He made will still do it. Because that is the created order of things. And when we live a life of rebellion, when we walk in the way of this world and we embrace sin and we reject his ways, we sing a different song than the song we were meant to sing. We sing a different song than the song we were meant to sing. He made everything to reveal and revere his amazing glory. And it's funny because as we as we look at our own lives, <clears throat> a lot of the problems that we run into, a lot of the uh, brokenness that we face, uh, the unmet expectations, the um, just the the depression that we run into, some of it is brokenness that happens out here that that we can't really control, right, as a result of living in a sin-cursed world. But a lot of it is us living outside of our intended purpose, right? We're like a turkey carver going outside to try and cut down a limb off a tree. You ever try and do that? It's a knife. should work, right? 
Ever try and dig up a swimming pool with a cereal spoon? It's kind of like a shovel. Kind of, you know, they scoop. Kind of. Ever try and hop in your four-door sedan and drive to Europe? It's a vehicle. It's made from getting you to point A and point B. It should work, right? No, it shouldn't. And you should talk to somebody. These, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Maybe read the instructions. I don't know, right? Because those things have an intended purpose. They all have an intended purpose. Really great for sawing up the Thanksgiving turkey. Not so great for chopping down a cedar tree. Really great for getting you to work on time. Not so great for sailing the seven seas. Right? We were made to be great at glorifying the name of God. That is our intended purpose. We were made to make his name great. And we're not even great at that. But that's what we were made to do. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. Whether you realize it or not, you could be here today, you could be there online, suppressing the truth of your intended purpose, saying, no, I don't believe in God. Good for you. He still exists. No, I don't believe that I was made to give him glory. Well, okay, that's that's your call. But you were. So you can scream and fuss and shake your hand at the sky and say, no, I reject that. It doesn't matter. You were created. You were created with a purpose. And when you live outside of that purpose, pain is a result. Like a sedan floating to the bottom of the Atlantic. That's you. That's me. That's what happens when we live outside of our intended purpose. God designed us in a way to be glory receptacles so that we could give it back. So that we could look at him as he is on full display and worship and live as a result. And tell other people, do you know how great my God is? Do you know what he did for me? Do you know what it means that he sent his son to die for you? Do you know? You don't? Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you how much he loves you. Let me tell you how much he loves me. So when we go to the zoo or we walk through a forest or we're just sitting on the front porch with some friends and and the sun is setting, all of this was made to scream to his reality to us so that through us we could scream to the reality, to the beauty of who he is. This is our purpose. But sadly, that is not always our purpose, is it? We can read about it. We can embrace it as a theological reality. We can read it as one of the five solas and say, yeah, the reformers, they had a great point. It still applies today. And yet I'm sure that like me so often... That's not always the main point of your life. Once again, he made everything to reveal and revere his amazing glory. And yet, if I'm being honest, I just, I look at 
the way that I live my life, the way that I approach my job or my family or my finances, the way that I approach my just my daily plans. And I wake up and I look at all the things that I want to accomplish today to feel accomplished. And I look at all of the things that I want to do so that I can look back and say, look what I have done. And I want to build up my bank accounts or my kids 502C3 ABC XYZ, whatever it is. And I want to see my 401k so that I can leave a legacy and, and all of these things that we just entrap our minds with. I want to buy this house and fix it up so I can sell it and buy another house that I will one day fix up and maybe sell and buy a smaller house so that I can one day have grandbabies over and say, you don't fit in my small house. But wait, I can sell it and buy a condo. What the heck are we doing here, people? You know, like it, it is such a, it, it like, <laughs> devil, devil doesn't even have to try. Like we're just such like lemmings. It's ridiculous. But, but we buy into the lies of this world so easy. I will get this job and I will work hard at it so that maybe I can get another job. And when I get that job, maybe I will receive an offer from a better company to get a better job until someone else. Gets, like it's the same thing over and over and over again. I will get enough money so that I have more money and I can meet my next financial goal so that I can have more money than before and maybe reach the next year of money so that I can feel better but worse because I don't have the net. Like, do you see the lies played out over and over and over again and how we buy into the lie that the glory of this world is worth living for more than the glory of God? And we take it hook, line, and sinker. We really do. Like there are days that I wake up and I think the straightness of the lines in my lawn is what I'm living for. And there are days when I toil, not for God's glory. There are days when I sweat and I'm filled with anxiety and I just, ah, because there are weeds in my lawn. How dare they? I put on a spring application. And a fall. Funny illustrations, right? And yet not so funny when we honestly pop open the hood in our life and say, that's me. Like, that's me. That's me on a day when I have car trouble. That's me on a day when, uh, when I get a bill that I wasn't expecting. That's me when I get... And it quickly becomes not about His glory. Not about soli deo gloria ringing true in my life in every single set of circumstances, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, so that in everything His name may be magnified. No, that is the, sometimes the first thing to go out the window. Some of you are here today and the things that I'm saying or you're listening online, they don't even make sense. You are like, what is this guy on? 
that he thinks that my life is seriously going to be about bringing some kind of praise to some unseen deity and that I'm not going to chase after my best life and do me in a way that brings me whatever I think this life should give me. I get it. Paul gets it. We were all there. A lot of us are chuckling today because we understand the broken reality of this world because our eyes have been opened to the reality of the gospel in such a way where we can rightly decipher between the lies of this world and the truth of God. Even though we still are like, oh yeah, hey, no, oh, okay, Satan, Quran, quit reeling. Even though sometimes we take it hook, line, and sinker. God has opened our eyes. He has awakened us to the reality of His grace. And we see Christ's death on the cross and what we should really be living for. Do we always do it? I'll be the first to admit that I don't. But we have been where you are. We have been where you are in a place where grace doesn't make sense and where living for the glory of God does not make sense. And all I can say is that there is a path that makes sense to a man. There is a path that seems right to you. But God's word promises that the end of that path is destruction. And so if you are living in a reality where the greatest reality is your own glory, friend, I can tell you that that is not your purpose. That is not what you were designed for. And the lies of this world will scream above the reality of who God is as a result of sin and brokenness in this world. And all I can do today is be one voice pleading with you to say, look to Jesus. See the one who came down and lived a perfect life and crawled on a cross and died for you and for me so that your sin penalty could be paid for so that one day you could stand right before God. I promise you there is no other way that you can stand right before God. The reformers dealt with that 500 years ago. There is nothing you could purchase. There is nothing that you can do. There's no amount of church attendance or ordinances or anything else that you could do. Charity that you could give to that one day will allow you to stand before the maker of this universe and say, good enough? It won't happen. You have a sin problem. And that sin was dealt with on a cross, but it requires God's grace to be poured out on you through your faith in who Jesus is and what he did for you. And so if you are here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, you're not even sure what that means, but you now know that you have a problem that you need to deal with, please come and talk with me, come and talk with Chris or the amen guy right there or Stephen, whoever, whoever is here after the service, please come talk to us. And if you are online, reach out to us, email at harborshores.org. We want to have that conversation with you because it is the start. You will not give glory to God in this life unless you place your faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we want, we want you to both understand what he did for you, but we also want you, we want you to understand what you were made for so that you can stop running against the brick wall of this life. Of you trying to cut down a tree with a turkey carver. It's not going to work out. 
It's not what it was made for. And if you are going to live this life for you, that's not what you were made for. So please come talk to us. But for those of us who are here today, and I know many of us have placed our faith in Jesus, we have taken that step over the line of faith. We have received the grace of God and we understand who we are and what we are made for. Then what we need to do is stop and ask ourselves, where is reform needed? 500 years ago, it was needed in the area of justification, in the area of our salvation. And so Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, they stood up and their writings screamed to the glory of God as it pertains to our salvation. Maybe we're not dealing with indulgences and papal decrees today, but what are you dealing with in your own life where its song is not the glory of God? What are the places and spaces of your life that is singing some other tune. Because it is in those areas that we must reform. That we must retool. That we must look at them in light of who God is and what He has revealed Himself to be and what we are called to be and lay them on the altar and say, God, this is for you. And so my job, my finances, my free time, my weekends, my vacation days, the neighborhood that I live in, the car that I drive, whatever it is that we're holding on to that we're saying, this, no, this is for me. No, you can't, you can't touch this. You can't have this. This is, this is for me. Guys, that is where reform is needed. Amen. And it may be in a seemingly small area or it may be in a monumentally large area that likens a, a whole other reformation. I, I don't really know. But regardless if it's big or small, the whole of who we are was made to be a resounding cry of glory to the one who made us. And if there is even the slightest places within us that do not do that, reform is needed. We learned about the grace that saves us by his grace alone. And yet the same grace that saves us to the praise of his glory empowers us to live for His glory. I don't think there's a sermon that I will ever preach on the glory of God where Titus 2, 11-14 isn't mentioned. Because I think it just so clearly spells out that very point for us, that need to continue, that need to not just receive grace, but to continue in it. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So His grace brings salvation, but it also trains us. It also shows us what it means to live in light of that grace. To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. May we be those people by God's grace. Peter echoes the words of Paul in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. Again, the same grace that saves us empowers us. To live in the way that we, that He has called us, the way that He's created us to live, a way that gives Him glory in our lives. And so where are the places in your own life where reform is needed? That's our job today. In the quietness of our own hearts, to go before the Lord, to take some time today, to take some time this week, and to get quiet before Him and say, God, Where are the places that need reform? Where are the places that are not soli deo gloria? For your glory alone. Where are the places where I'm living for my own glory? Where are the places where I am trying to elevate my own wants, my own desires, my own plans? instead of your great name. And so let's do that. Even, even during this last song as the band comes and, uh, comes and plays, let's take those questions before God and ask Him in the honesty of our own hearts, God, where are you calling me to reform for your glory? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. For it is through your grace revealed in your Son and the, and the death that He died for us, that we are able to stand before you, that we are able to call ourselves not sinners, but sons and daughters. And as your sons and our daughters, we pray that you would instill in us a desire to live for your glory, that you would increase in us a desire to live for your glory. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, through the power of your Word, would invade our hearts today that we would not be able to walk out of the aisle that we are in, that we would not be able to walk out of this sanctuary without hearing the still small voice of your Spirit calling us, empowering us to live for you in a way that reflects you. So show us the areas. Show us the places where we need to reform. And in your love, in your grace, in your gentleness, lead us in a path of righteousness all for your glory, all to reveal your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.